Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, I will start with my guest bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they want to talk about that week. This week, I am joined by Elle Smith, which if you can't hear how excited I am because I'm smiling, then I don't know why you're here, people. Student activist L. Smith, who uses they, them pronouns, is a black, queer, non-binary student who is dedicating their life to using their voice to generate positive social change. They entered high school searching for a community of people like them, people who are passionate about learning, growing, and making the world a better place. This quest led them to revive their school's dormant GSA, and they've led the group ever since. L has organized an an annual day of silence, developed and delivered multiple LGBTQ plus inclusion trainings for staff, and advocated for safe spaces. With the hope of increasing the impact of GSAs in the Austin area, L founded a nonprofit, the Central Texas GSA Coalition, in January of 2019. Since, Since then, the coalition has attracted over 100 members from more than 20 schools, including charter and homeschool students who, would n- who may not otherwise have access to the life-saving impact of GSAs. Elle has won several contests for LGBTQ plus advocacy, and they are a published contributor to Trans Plus, Love, Sex, Romance, and Being You by Katherine Gonzalez and Karen Rain. They are also Glesson's 2019 to 2020 Student Advocate of the Year, a title that has granted them a platform to connect and engage with a nationwide network of change makers. When they are not advocating for LGBTQ inclusive policies or altering costumes for a show, you can find them reading philosophy, playing classical guitar, taking pictures for Instagram, or sewing clothes. Hi, Elle. Hi. I'm... So excited. Don't tell the rest of them, but you might be like the interview I've been looking forward to the most. Don't tell the rest of my guests. Um, I have been so impressed by you for like the last two or three years. I'm going to geek out for a minute. Um, And I don't know if you remember, but the first time I actually met you, we were volunteering at the Austin Black Pride event. And I've just been like nerding out about you. But the first time I saw you speak, you had just won the, the essay at Austin Pride. And so you're speaking at the Capitol oh, yeah. and your yeah. parents were there. And I was just like, this is the future. And we're fine. Like, and this is what I have to look forward to. Everything's going to be great. So just want you to know that like over the last two years, as someone who is older than you, you have really like changed my life. And so I'm so oh, like, honored to like that you're giving me the space so yeah yeah. 
uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about you. I mean, that very impressive bio you wrote for pretty much says it all, but yeah. Yeah, I've had to write a lot of bios. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it does say a lot about me. You know, I tried to include all of my different interests in my bio, and I think that's something that really defines me. Um, you know, throughout high school, I haven't, I know there are some people who will really stick to a path. So, you know, some people will say I'm doing activism and that's it. Or I play football and I'm dedicating my life to football and that's my passion. And I think that's great, but that's not who I am. Um, I think I've always had a lot of different interests and I don't feel a need to choose just one. Um, so, you know, there are days where I'll send out a GSA coalition newsletter and then I'll go play guitar and then I'll go work on design for a show and then I'll go like upcycle some jeans or something. <laughs> like, I think that that's something that's really important to me and it's something that I think more people should embrace is that you're allowed to have a lot of different interests and you don't have to pursue them all to the fullest extent. You don't have to monetize them. Um, but yeah, like... I'm out here living my life. That you are. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's like a great way to like jump into our topic because when you put this yeah. on the sheet and I was like, yes, absolutely. So yeah. Oh, yes. So our topic. <laughs> um, yeah. So what we're going to be talking about student advocacy, queer youth advocacy, uh, doing things to make change in your community, even when you're not a functional adult, because <laughs> um, that's what I've been doing. Um, I think I got started, I got started my freshman year. I came into high school and I really just wanted queer friends because um, I knew I was queer, but I had never, like I had met a couple other people, but I wasn't close with anyone. Um, and so I wanted to join a GSA and it looked like my school had one, but the website hadn't been updated since 2013 and it was just like a whole mess. So um, I restarted that and that kind of started my path in advocacy. And one thing I realized from the very beginning and from that experience was that, like, I have the power to create change and to create the spaces that I want to see. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. I feel like as youth especially, a lot of the adults in our lives will tell us, like, oh, you know, wait until you get older and you'll be mm -hmm. able to do all of these things. Um, it seems like there's just an expectation that we wait for the world to come and give these spaces to us rather than an expectation that this is something I want, this is something I need, I can do things to make that happen. Um, and so I think I realized that really early on and that's been sort of a guiding factor in my philosophy of how I choose to navigate the world and find things that I enjoy, so. Yeah, yeah I, I think also like the last couple of years, like seeing how like, high school youth across the country have been responding to things like between like the trans military ban to gun reform yeah. to, you know, LGBTQA plus issues of just like, I a hundred percent agree. Like I clearly have, am a person who has always been used to having 700 projects. <laughs> I've yeah. been pretty much me my whole life. Like this has yeah. been very much on brand for me. Um, so like, you know, thinking about like all the things I was involved with too, like between, you know, playing volleyball, doing the yearbook, student government, like, and that's the thing too, like, I think older people know that if younger people pay attention and are active, a lot of shit's gonna happen. Yeah. Like, if we, you know, gun reform is a perfect example, like, all the youth that are doing all that work around that right now, because, you know, adults are afraid, to like, push back and, like, fight with the NRA and right. all that sort of stuff, and them being like, no, like, this is, y'all are removed from this, like, us as students having to go to school every day, this is a directly affecting us 
and we don't yeah. know this isn't a safe space for us anymore. So I really commend like you and all the youth advocates who are out there being like, no, like this is all, these are our lives. And just because y'all aren't taking them seriously or thinking that, you know, change can't happen unless it comes from an adult, that's not how this works. And yeah. we're here to like kind of make sure that y'all, y'all know this, but yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I actually, actually um, interviewed Emma Gonzalez, the founder of our March for Our Lives movement. I interviewed her a couple days ago, and, you know, she was just talking about the fact that, like, this is her life. This is something that affects all of us, and we're not going to wait for other people to make that change. And so, you know, she started out in activism by being the president of her GSA, and she was upset that they weren't getting good sex ed, so she would have, like, sex ed lessons at her house where they'd put condoms on bananas, and it was great. Um, and so, you know, we had that conversation and I think it's just, it shows that our generation is just really trying to make our own lives better. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very much of the mindset again, like I, I will get out of the way, but what do you need <laughs> to me to do yeah. to be successful? Right. Like I will introduce you to people who I know I will like help get connected. Like I will you know, I want them on, like, I want y'all on shows and, like, just giving different platforms and exposure because I think it's so important. And especially, like, being a youth of color who is also in the community, like, LGBTQA community is, like, you're killing it. And I just need you <laughs> to know that, like, I talk uh, about you with, uh, I think you know Alicia. We, like, yeah. have had group chats just, like, talking about you, like, random people. Like, have you, have you heard about Elle Smith who's just, like, out here killing it? But... I I think of that too, like that representation piece of it too, of like if youth and other people can see you doing this work of like, A, not waiting around, B, of all of the the different identities that you hold, and then also like how you are using whatever space you are creating or like being invited into or, you know, taking up to uplift yourself your community other people who also deserve to be helped i mean or heard i i'm a big believer in like there's no reason why we can't all win so like i'm very yeah. big on like helping to create space um so i've been like really loving watching your journey from afar of like like you're saying from like creating clothes like what watching you make that puffer jacket last year I can't so sew. Like so I am not work. a crafty person at all uh-huh. but just like the the depths of who I don't think people equate youth to being very deep, right? It's like mm-hmm. high school kids only care about like passing their test or who they're dating that week. And I'm like, right. no, <laughs> you remember when you were in high school, like it was so much other things. But, like as we get older, we're like constantly, you know, the media tells us this and that. And so like watching the youth and youth advocates now who are doing this work are being like, listen, I can pass a test and then also go and help get some legis- legislation passed, which don't forget you spoke right. at the Capitol. Was it the Capitol? I did. I did mm. speak at the Capitol. Yeah, I did. See, yeah. I, to- I told you. It's like very proud. <laughs> Just everything like, what's, what's the E feed today? Um, yeah, I mean, I also want to talk a lot about um, the Glesson Award because I feel like yeah. for those of – can you explain what GLSEN is for those of us who don't know? Yeah. So GLSEN is a national nonprofit organization. It's the leading nonprofit that provides support to LGBTQ plus students in schools. So they focus a lot on um, giving students the power to use their voices in schools. So whether that be resources to start a GSA, um, they have a safe space kit. It's really cool. And it just has information about how to make your school 
a safe space for uh, queer students. And so, you know, they will send out resources. Um, actually, this past Friday, the 24th, was the annual day of silence, which is an event that they have to highlight the erasure of LGBTQ plus people as a result of bullying and harassment and bigotry. Um, so they just do a lot to ensure that students are supported and that they feel capable of using their voices. Obsessed. Um, I'm not going to lie, when you got the award and you took the photo with Octavia Spencer, I pretty much died and came back. Um, <laughs> and then also you and Kellen. Is it Kellen? Kaylin Allen. Kaylin yeah. Allen. Oh, I need it in a minute. And then also, like, you like you said, you interviewed Emma, and then also, like, Tan from Queer Eye, and I'm just like... I did not actually get to interact with Tan Friends. He just does, sent listen, in a video. You were, you were there the tangen tangentially. I will... Yes. It's there. Yes, I was in relations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think what else. I also, like, I think it's also this idea that, like, queer youth of color... There was there was a trope for a long time of like people of color aren't queer or like if we are we have to be in the closet and so like yeah. with me I didn't come out until I was twenty six and that was when I moved to Texas I moved eighteen hundred miles away from my family before I came out mm. I don't think the two are correlated but I'm also like not going to say they're not correlated um, yeah. but when I first visited Austin I was twenty five and I'd come for I come for a wedding I was here for a week um, fell in love with the city I met a girl and I was like maybe <laughs> and then I moved back to Austin and I was like no definitely um and so yeah. like came out to my family um originally as bi but now I identify as pan because gender um yeah. and the ability to fall in love with any gender any person all that sort of great stuff um but yeah I, I also want to talk about that for like what how do you think like that plays into the platform you have as well because I feel like it's it's you know, we're, we're living in a time now where there is a lot more people of color, well, particularly black people who are queer, I mean, between, um, you know, Billy. Billy Porter. Thank you. I love like, last him. name. Last name. It is, my, it is my dream to meet him. It's going to happen. Speak goal. it into existence. I'm putting it out <laughs> yes, there for I you. I will meet Billy Porter. It yeah. will happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think about like Billy Porter and like in the cast of Pose, like very black latinx you know um yeah. looking at you know coming from the original l word which is mostly all white lesbians that was the show was problematic but it's all we had we'll take what we yeah. can get yeah. um but i think about that now like the representation of like what are you seeing how do you think things are shifting how do you as a person who is all of these things how does that fit into you and your existence and you know how do you navigate that trope of Speaking like to my own experience, like I've, I'm obsessed with Shonda Rhimes. I've read her memoir. Mm -hmm. I read her memoir every year. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, but she, in her memoir, mentioned like if Grace would have failed, it wouldn't have meant that Grace failed. It would have meant that she failed and that in turn meant black women are failures. And like that whole yeah. like pressure feel of like if we mess up, the chance that someone else will get another chance really harbors on us. So that's like my very long-winded question of take, take it away. <laughs> Um, no, I definitely see that. And I definitely feel that like, if I make a mistake, then it makes all black people look bad. It makes all queer people look bad. It makes all trans people look bad. It makes all non-binary. And like, that's a fair burden. But I think it's something that's relatable to a lot of marginalized groups, because we're expected to be a good representation of our entire communities. 
And I think that's a lot of pressure, but I also think, I don't know, the world has gotten both better and worse. Um, and so better in the sense that like, there's definitely way more representation of queer people of color. And I really appreciate that. Like I love being able to watch shows where I see people who have similar experiences to mine and who I feel like I can relate to, you know, they have similar family dynamics with like their extended family and all of that. And I really appreciate that. But I also think that there's almost more pressure on us to do things to make change. Um, and so I'll talk to my friends who aren't necessarily involved in advocacy or activism or any of that. Like they care about the world, they care about making things better, but that's not their passion. And they always seem to get guilted because they're choosing not to be the, the one voice for all black queer people or whatever. Mm. And I think that's a really unfair expectation to have of people, um, especially because depending on your situation, it's hard enough to just exist in the world. Um, like I'm really lucky to have a super accepting family. My parents are great. It's awesome. But I have plenty of friends for whom that's not the case. And so Absolutely. it's not fair to expect them to live in an unsafe family situation and be an advocate and you know, do all of this stuff. And so I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily an answer to your question, but yeah, I just think navigating the world as a queer person of color can be difficult. It's definitely really reward rewarding. Um, I think a lot of the spaces where I found the greatest sense of community have been QPOC spaces, and I love that. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a balance of like, yay, we have representation now, we have friends and family and community, but also it is difficult to be this person, I guess. Yeah. A hundred percent. I I was just talking to another friend before I called you. Um yeah. and we were talking about like how we just want as black people. Um he is a very tall black gay man and me being a shorter <laughs> black queer woman. Where we were talking about like intergenerational trauma and epigenetics, mm -hmm. which I never heard about till today, which is a, a fascinating mm -hmm. Google if anyone has the time. Um but we were talking about that of like not bringing intergenerational trauma or like trying to end intergenerational trauma. Um, yeah. And so like with, with my life, like I think to my Nana, my mom's mom, sorry, my dad's mom, um, my Nana, she like was really big into like the civil rights movement. Um, she went on to like work at Yale, the hospital, the Yale hospital, where I, um, which is connected to the university um, in Connecticut yeah. and like was head of her department for a long time. Um, but I think about, like, the work that she had to do, like, where she had to get and, like, that whole, tr like, that whole journey for her. And, like, her and I have talked about this, too, of, like, you know, she was doing what she had to to get by. Like, she was go working, like, doing the stuff in the movement and then going to work and raising three kids and all that sort of stuff um, so yeah. that her kids have a better life and then her grandkids and so on and so forth. And so, like, with me, when I moved here, she gave me two, two rules I had to follow. The first one was don't do reality TV, which was a very random request. I was like, okay. okay. And then the second one was don't get arrested. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, why is that? Um, and so she always made the comment, like, the, the reason why she said that, she was like, I know you. You're very opinionated. And she's like, and I don't. <laughs> she's like, I feel like you would pop off on someone and you would end up in jail. And I was like, that's very fair. Mm. This is also like right when Sandra Bland happened and she was murdered. 
So I think yeah. it was just also like all of that stuff going on. But I also think she sees a lot of her and me of like very resilient, always wanting to move forward, always trying to make the world better. Um, and I was saying this when I worked at Out Youth, I was like, I was very fortunate to have a very accepting family, but I too know that that's like, that's not the outcome a lot of uh, LGBTQA plus folks see. So like, now with a lot of the work that I do, I'm trying to create space for, you know, the people who came before me, the people who are here now with me and the people who will come, come after me. Um, yeah. And, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how can I help make change? And so, you know, I have had the privilege of like speaking at a lot of events and, you know, being on a couple different radio shows and podcasts and all those things. And, you know, it can be very tokenizing, right? Like mm-hmm. people see you and they only see you. Like you are the only yeah. one who was doing this. And so I had an organization come to me and be like, hey, we want you to like do this thing for me. And I was yeah. like, okay, who else have you asked? And they're like, sorry, what? I was like, who else have you asked? Like, yeah. I'm not the only one out here doing it. And I also like, I get like, I quote unquote have a name for myself now. I'm like, but there are also other people who are doing this who I want to give that space to as well. Like I don't have to, I don't have to be the one always there. And actually I think it'd be better if we had a different right. perspective. Um, yeah. So I like pushed back. I was like, I need you to go and ask at least two to three more people before you ask me again. And it was just like, if people care enough, they'll do the work. And so like that also like, I guess like all that, all that being said is like, how do you separate you know, or how, do, how are you navigating, like, going and doing things that are, like, going to help elevate, you know, your community and the people you care about, but then also, like, how are you, how, how do we create space? How do we, you know, make sure that, you know, the table is able to seat us all? Like, I don't know. I just, I, I've been wanting to have this conversation with other people who are doing this work, and so I, again, fascinated by you. I thought that'd be, you know, how, how are you, how are youth advocates, like, helping to create that space for each other? Yeah, I think it's really difficult um, because I think especially as youth, we are tokenized a lot and used as like the PR person of like, look at this cool youth who we support. Mm -hmm. Look at that. If you donate money, you're supporting cool youth like this. Look how cool they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like that happens a lot. And so it's really difficult, you know, when I'm presented with opportunities, when other people are presented with opportunities to decide whether like, is this making a positive impact? Does this fit with my ethics? Does this fit with what I want to do for the world? Or am I just helping this corporation get like nonprofit status and a donation? Mm. Um, And so I think it's really difficult to navigate that and then also bring in the conversation of allowing space for people. Um, Because I know, at, at least in my circles, I guess, there are a lot of people who just are very uncomfortable, um, talking like in public speaking senses or talking to authority or whatever and so bridging the gap between like okay there is this legislative issue something needs to get done someone needs to give testimony at this thing i know that i can give good testimony here if someone else gets this opportunity are they going to also do that or is it going to be a learning experience and figuring out when it's good to use something as an educational experience and be like, yeah, you know, go ahead, see how it goes. And then we'll workshop after or being like, this is something with high stakes. I would love to give someone else this opportunity, but I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I don't know. I feel like there's always a lot to think about when it comes with activism with a platform. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's a, it can be a slippery slope of sort of becoming, I don't want to say domineering, that's not the right word, but just taking over everything. Um, and then also trying to spread the wealth and allow everyone's voices to be heard. So that's something I'm definitely going to have to like put more thought into, um, especially as I continue with activism and move out into the real world and out of high school. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. What year are you going into? I'm a senior, so I graduate in uh, less than a month. <sighs> I'm not ready. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I was like thinking back, like, oh my God, during high school, I was so ready for senior year. Yeah. And now um, it's all online learning. I'm just ready for it to be done. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, two questions. If there's one thing you could tell adults about youth advocates, what would it be? I mean, it would just like listen to us, please. Um, because I think, you know, obviously we don't know everything. And most of the time, like everyone who I've met who is doing activism work is aware of that. Mm. But we do know what our experience is and we know the areas where we need help. And so I would appreciate it if more adults would actually hear what we had to say and then go from there. Yeah. Um, because like, I'm not averse to free feedback or criticism or anything like that. But it's one thing when you hear me and then you say, no, I think you're wrong for these reasons mm. versus when I present you with an argument and you say, well, I don't care <laughs> or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I would say to adults, like, please listen to the youth in your lives and hear about their experiences, validate those experiences and then figure out where to go. Um, it might be that the person you're talking to just wants to vent. It might be that there's a need for institutional change. Who knows? But if you don't listen to what our needs are, then like it's just not helpful to anyone. The world's not going to get better if we just keep arguing and not hearing each other. So yeah. Uh, and then also, like, what would you what would you tell youth and young adults who like want to be more active in like any sort of you know thing like you're doing advocacy, social justice, making change, like what's a piece, what's a piece of advice you would give them or you would have wished that like someone gave you? Yeah, I would say just do it. Um, Cause I think a lot of times, especially when you're young, activism can be scary and standing up to the adults in your life can be scary. You know, if you have a teacher who's being unsupportive or your principal won't let trans students use the bathroom that they want to use or whatever, it can be difficult to stand up to those people. And I would say stand up to them anyway, because there are so many organizations and adults and other students who will support you. And I think it's really important that everyone feels empowered to use their voice, even when it is scary. Um, and so I think, like, don't, don't get discouraged, don't feel like you can't do it. Like everyone has the power to make the changes that they want to see in their community. And it might be an unbearably slow process, but you can do something. And so I would say that you should just go out there and try and see what happens. And yeah. I could talk to you for hours, but <laughs> I will be mindful of our time together. Um, is there anything else you want to like plug or talk about or, or, something I didn't ask that you want to make sure I share out? Uh, I mean, if I can plug the South by panel. I will be sure to put everything in the show notes that we mentioned here today, including like your Instagram feed and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, but I like to end each episode with a question. Right. What is the best advice you were ever given or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? So best piece of advice I've ever given uh, by far from Catherine Gonzalez, operations and programs director at OutYouth. I love her so much. She is amazing. Um, but I remember when I was first getting started in activism, um, I was doing a lot of like legislative stuff and it was mainly me writing a ton of letters and sending emails and calling politicians and stuff. And it wasn't working out. Like I was not getting good responses. Um, and I was really demoralized. So I called Catherine and we had like an hour long phone conversation. And the best advice that I've ever received is that you should tell your story and that's how you make change. Um, and that has stuck with me ever since then. Every time I do anything or advocate for an issue or whatever, it's always about telling my story, empowering others to tell their stories, just sharing that. Um, because there's always facts and statistics that I can say, you know, I can talk about homelessness rates or whatever, but people have heard that already. Numbers don't have as much of an impact as saying, this is the story of all of these people. This is my story. This is what these people have gone through. This is why you should care about them. Um, and so I think that has made a huge impact on me. Um, and probably like, yes, the best advice. Everyone has a story and you should tell it. We don't deserve you. You're just so great. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, feel free to come you. back whenever you want. And that's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. As always, a special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye.